The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 4, Of Creation, Paragraph 2. After God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female, with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness and true holiness after his own image, having the law of God written in their hearts and power to fulfil it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. Besides this law, written in their hearts, they received the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which, while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God, and had dominion over the creatures." As we begin today, perhaps you're feeling a little bit rough around the edges. It was a busy New Year and Christmas period. You ate far too much. And by this juncture, you've even polished off the remaining quality street, even the orange ones, which nobody likes. Maybe as you lie on the sofa this morning listening to this podcast, you feel like the second coming of Herman Munster. But regardless, today, my friend, you and I are made in the image of God. This is the truth which the second paragraph of chapter 4 outlines. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we are told that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So far, so good, you might say. For just as the scripture says, and as the confession outlines, after God had made all other creatures, he created man, male and female. So, therefore, we are like the monkeys and the dogs and the giraffes and every other part of creation. But that is not where this paragraph ends. Because unlike the monkeys and the dogs and the giraffes, as we continue, we read that God has made us, humanity, men and women, with reasonable and immortal souls. Because immediately as the confession shines a light on this truth, we realize that we are incredibly different from all other creatures. We have both a reasonable and immortal soul. It was Descartes who famously once said, Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And please forgive my pronunciation of Latin. It has been a long time since I've studied Latin and it is only my seventh language. Descartes was pointing us to an important biblical truth that humanity alone in all of creation thinks. We have reasonable and immortal souls. 
Your dog, when it woke up this morning, was probably only concerned about having a drink of water and where his breakfast was coming from. Your dog does not lie on the sofa pondering the wonders of life. As your little cat disappears out into the garden to go for a walk, I can guarantee you it is not gazing at the stars and thinking about its place in the universe. Only humanity has been given a reasonable and immortal soul. Now, of course, as you read this, you might think, well, does that mean that all men are reasonable? Of course not. That's not what the confession is pointing to. We all have our times where we are far from reasonable. When we are told that we have reasonable souls, again, it means we think, we contemplate, we ponder. And not only that, we have immortal souls. That is not to say that we have always existed. That is simply not true. We are created. There was a time that we were not until the Lord himself breathed life into us. We see this in scripture. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, that the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. There was a time that we did not exist, but when the Lord breathed life into us, he gave us immortal souls. Again, we see this with the Lord's interaction with the thief on the cross. Jesus promises him in Luke 23 and verse 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord did not lie. He gave this thief a wonderful assurance and hope that today his soul would go to be with the Lord. So the Lord has given us reasonable and immortal souls. We think, we reason, we ponder, and our souls are immortal in the sense that they are sustained by the power of the Lord and only he can destroy the soul. We read that in Matthew 10 and verse 28 when Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The Lord at any moment could destroy the soul, but he chooses not to. And so in this sense, our souls are immortal, and the souls of both the wicked and the elect will be sustained forevermore. This is an important point that Chad Van Dixhorn makes in his wonderful book. He writes, The most savage animal will turn to dust, but a savage man will have to answer to the one who made heaven and hell. As this paragraph continues, we are told that we are endued with knowledge, righteousness and true holiness after God's own image. Here we speak of the Imago Dei, the image of God, and this is how we have been created. Once more, a dog is not made in the image of God, but humanity is. And in the beginning, we were endued with knowledge, righteousness and true holiness after God's own image. In Genesis 1 and 26, we read, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Humanity have been given God's own image, and therefore we stand apart from all other aspects of creation. What does it mean to be made in God's image? Well, we think we communicate, we create, we love. And in the beginning, we knew God and were known by him. 
We were righteous before him. We had true holiness after God's own image. And yet after the fall, that image has been marred by sin and must be restored by the Holy Spirit. We see this in Colossians 3 and verse 10. We have put on the new self, says Paul, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Paul, again in Ephesians 4 and 24, says we are to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In the beginning, we carried God's image completely. The fall transformed everything. That image of God was marred almost beyond all recognition. Sin has corrupted every part of us. And yet that image remains. And when we come to faith in Christ, the image of God is restored and renewed in knowledge, righteousness and holiness after the image of its creator. For Christians today, this is an encouraging truth. It means that despite the fact you may not see much progress in your sanctification, the Lord is restoring his image in your life and he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. All of humanity is made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and this should set us free from all kinds of racism or prejudice. Regardless of your skin colour or ethnic background, all humans are made in God's image. Even those who are seen as far too old to contribute to society anymore, and even those who are in the womb. We must protect life, that from the point of conception to the point of death, all humans are made in God's image. Paragraph 2 continues by stating that all humans too have the law of God written in their hearts. I would urge you today, my friends, to think back to when you were a child. We instinctively knew that going into the kitchen and having another biscuit, even though our mother told us not to, was wrong. It was sinful. We shouldn't do it. And why is this? Well, paragraph 2 tells us we had the law of God written in our hearts. Paul says in Romans 2 verses 14 to 15, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Again, from cradle to the grave, all humans are made in God's image, horrendously marred by sin, but through faith in Christ that image is being restored and will be completed at the day of Christ. And we also have the law of God written in our hearts. Our conscience condemns us when we break this law, even if we know Christ or not. Today, in 2019, as modern human beings, we are very similar to the first humans, Adam and Eve. They had the law of God written in their hearts, just as we do. But as we've already mentioned, there are radical differences. Adam and Eve displayed the image of God perfectly in the beginning, but then fell. And as a result of that fall, sin and death entered the world, and the image of God and humanity was marred to this very day. Other differences are outlined for us as paragraph 2 continues. Adam and Eve, we are told in this paragraph, had the power to fulfill the law of God. Yet they were also under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject unto change. In these words, we see the tragedy of what happened in the beginning. Adam and Eve had the power to fulfill the law of God, 
Adam and Eve could have obeyed God's law for eternity and lived in perfect fellowship with the Lord. Yet, Adam and Eve were under a possibility of sinning, of transgressing. They had been left to the liberty of their own will. They had free will to do what was good or what was evil. Their will was subject to change. And we know the old and tragic story which is outlined in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. They sinned against God. And as this paragraph states, Besides the law written in their hearts, they received the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which while they kept, they were happy in their communion with God. Genesis 2 and 17 has this command. We call it the covenant of works. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here is God's covenant with humanity. Do this and live, he says. If you break this command, then you shall die. As we know, the command was broken. Humanity failed to keep the covenant of works. And so today, whilst this paragraph shows us the wonder of God's creation in humanity, it also shows us our fall. We were once in a lofty position with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, made in God's own image. We were in a relationship with him. We had fellowship with him. And that fellowship would have continued for all eternity. We would have been happy in our communion with God if only we had kept his covenant of works. God's law was written in our hearts. One commandment was placed before us, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And we had the power to fulfill this law. But left to our own free will, we chose the path of rebellion. We will speak again about that rebellion in later podcasts. But today, I think as we finish, there are some natural conclusions that come from the second paragraph of chapter 4. Firstly, today, I do not believe we should overlook the call for us to have dominion over all the earth. We read in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, that God made us in our own image, after our own likeness. And the Lord himself said that we were to have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We should remember the impact that our sin has had on creation. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been growing together in the pains of childbirth until now. Just as creation groans and longs for the coming of Christ, so we are to care for creation. We are to have dominion over it as God has decreed, and we're not to abuse creation or to treat it as if it is insignificant. I think secondly we are also to fight for the sanctity of life. 
Last year, in the UK, there were almost 200,000 abortions. Certainly, if abortion comes to Northern Ireland, that number will only increase. Abortion is an abomination. It terminates the most vulnerable in society when they have no voice of their own. And the fact that in Iceland today, there are very few people with Down syndrome because it has almost been wiped out by prenatal tests and abortion should cause us to weep. It's not only at the beginning of life that we see the sanctity of life attacked. Increasingly, we're told that the elderly are a costly burden on society. And surely we are not too far away from the days when if one has no real value to society, then perhaps it would be just simpler to terminate them. The Christian should be passionate about life and protecting the sanctity of life. But finally as well, I think today this paragraph points us to Jesus. We've seen here in this paragraph, as we will touch on again in later podcasts, that sin entered in through the sin of one man. Paul says in Romans 5 and verse 14 that death reigned from Adam to Moses, that many died through one man's trespass, that because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. There's no hiding from this truth in paragraph 2, chapter 4, that just as we have been made in the image of God, just as in the beginning things were glorious, so too we rebelled and fell and sinned against God. But today, if you only ever listen to this episode of this podcast, I want you to be clear. The Christian looks to Christ. The Christian is no longer in the first Adam but he or she is in the second. In verse 17 of Romans 5, Paul says, if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. As human beings, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have lost that ability to keep God's covenant of works. We have fallen and we need a saviour. As I read the second paragraph of chapter 4, constantly I am reminded that the saviour is Jesus Christ our Lord and at his return we will be made like him. At his return, the image of God will be perfectly restored to humanity. At his return, creation will be no longer subjected to futility. At his return, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, today as you listen to this podcast, you have been blessed with a reasonable and a mortal soul. And so I pray that you will reason with me today, that you will have heard what we have said, and that you will realize the gravity and impact of the fall. Today you are a sinner dead in sin. The image of God has been marred and defaced in your life. But if you will believe, but if you will call upon the name of Christ, then you will be saved the Spirit will begin his sanctifying work and the Lord will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So today I beg of you, 
as you have been born in Adam, so today, through faith in Christ, may you be born again. As always today, we have some questions for you to consider. Firstly, what has God given humanity that is not shared with the rest of creation? Question two, define what we mean by a reasonable and immortal soul. Question three, what do we mean when we speak of the Imago Dei? And how would you explain this concept to others? Question four, what are some practical outworkings of being made in God's image? Question five, What power did Adam and Eve have that as a result of the fall, we no longer have? And finally, question number six. What do we mean when we speak of the covenant of works? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. 